Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Amanda Farnan, and I am joined by a good friend today who I will let introduce himself, but we'll be talking all about D.C. statehood, and I'm excited for him to educate me and you. Jamal? Hello, my name is Jamal Holtz. Um, I serve as, well, I'll start professionally, and then I'll get into my statehood work. Um, I serve as a special assistant to the president on equity, belonging, and public affairs at Link Strategic Partners. Uh, we do a lot of D.C. community engagement, local engagement, grassroots work. Uh, but I also serve as a statehood advocate. Uh, I serve as a lead organizer with 51 for 51. Uh, it's a D.C. statehood campaign that was uh, launched in 2018 uh, in response to two things. One was really um, in the midst of a presidential election where presidents mm-hmm. were running for office, where the Democratic field was getting wide. Um, we, we wanted to ensure that it was a priority for Democratic uh, uh, presidents and mm-hmm. whoever was running for president to make statehood as a part of their mission and their goals and the work that they were doing. Uh, but it was also very important for us when we heard Mitch McConnell confirm three Supreme Court justices with 51 votes uh, in the mm-hmm. Senate. So he bypassed the filibuster. So we came up with this unique tactic around a strategy of making D.C. the 51st state with 51 votes in the Senate, bypassing the filibuster to get it done. Exactly. And I would love to dive into more of your advocacy on the campaign trail because I know that must have been very interesting. And I've seen many videos of you Mm -hmm. asking for that pledge of 51 for 51 from candidates. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of D.C. statehood, would love to hear where Mm -hmm. you came from and kind of your story in the district. I was, so I was born and raised in uh, Ward 8 of Washington, D.C. Um, and often my story as to like how I got engaged in like statehood is very uh, also a way in which I uh, uh, got engaged in like local politics. Yeah. But also like the moment where it like changed my entire life. Um, when I was I joined this program when I was 16 years old. It was called the Marion Barry Youth Leadership Institute, uh, formerly known as the Mayor's Youth Leadership Institute. So it's a program that really focuses on giving young people the tools and tactics uh, around civic engagement, knowing your ANC member, knowing your council member. If you don't know your uh, ANC, look it up, look Advisory it up. Neighborhood I, Commission. Yeah, <laughs> ANCfinder.org is how I found out. Um, but, but being engaged in like civic engagement, understanding like local government uh, became like important to me. And uh, when I joined this program, uh, honestly, initially it was just to, to get compensation, but like it really right. shaped and molded my entire life. So as I started to like get engaged in like, local politics, local engagement, and sort of community work, I started to realize a lot of the issues that were pertinent in my community, but more so how they, like, prevailed in my own household. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, ran for, like, uh, a deputy youth mayor of D.C. I was, like, the youth city administrator, and, like, I was doing a lot of local engagement um, and advocated a lot at the city council, a lot of mm-hmm. testimonials and hearings that you can find me at. Um, and then uh, it was it was uh, in 2014 where Barack Obama, around the Affordable Care Act, uh, also known as Obamacare, uh-huh. uh, a lot of people don't know the different think they're different, but it's the same. Right. Um, but Obamacare uh, and Affordable Care Act was about giving every family the basic opportunity to affordable health care uh, and and really being able to walk into a hospital to get treatment, get preventative care, and mm-hmm. treatment covered. Um, and my mom didn't have quality health insurance, nor did my aunt. Uh, and I wanted to advocate for it. And like right. the, the call to action from Barack Obama at the time was call your senator. And like we, we were facing government shutdowns. Call your senator and tell them to pass the Affordable Care Act. Um, and for me, I was like, well, I want to call my senator and tell them to pass the Affordable Care Act because my mom and myself will have quality health insurance. 
And uh, at that point where I realized like that my senators were shadow senators, I didn't know what that really meant. Right. But I realized I didn't have a vote on the matter uh, in the halls of Congress. And at that point, I realized I truly lived in the shadows of democracy, that going to the mayor's office for uh, what was like an issue locally mm-hmm. uh, uh, wasn't a thing when it came to like the Affordable Care Act. It was like right. going to the people that represent you in the halls of Congress to vote for it. And I didn't have a vote on that matter. So that's when I got engaged in around D.C. statehood and like became an advocate and like supporter of D.C. statehood, always talking about it. And we founded this organization, 51 for 51, um, a few years ago t- to center young black people in the fight mm-hmm. um, around statehood. Awesome. And I think it's important to recognize the smaller issues that are all encompassing with statehood, if whether that's mm-hmm. funding for housing or our roads or our public school system or our health care. Every state has the right mm-hmm. to vote on those dollars and D.C. does not. So I love how you just described that. Um, Even further, going back to your experience in the district, because, of course, I was a council staffer, so saw how decisions were made based on... Hell and high water. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But but I saw how decisions were made based on those dollars that Mm -hmm. create the programs, like the Mary and Barry Summer Youth Employment Program, Mm -hmm. and how that comes about to then actually pass in the council. So I'm actually curious not on that, but on your experience as the city youth city administrator. <laughs> what did you do as a youth city administrator? Uh, I really just followed the mayor around and, and okay. harassed the mayor. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, the, the, the role of, like, in the youth government, D.C. youth government uh, under the, the Mayor's Youth Leadership Institute was about really like galvanizing young people to be a part of right. a, like one to help them get civically engaged but also like informing them of like the issues that were going on on council mm-hmm. uh and, and going on in our local communities and advocating for it um as you city administrator is actually it, the role didn't exist until i i created it at the program there you go um, okay I, I had a deep admiration for uh, uh the city administrator um uh, in, in D.C., the actual city administrator. And I right. was like, why don't we have that at a, at a youth level, but we have youth mayors. Right. Right, and, like, the youth, the, the city administrator was, like, focused on, like, the functions and, like, running, mm-hmm. go, helping run government and services, the day-to-day activities. And I was like, we should also have something like that as a young person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so created this role and sort of jumped into it. And um, the the role was, for me was really about, like, again, centering young people's voices in, the, in, mm-hmm. in many issues that were happening in the city. Um, work closely a lot with the mayor on like the kids were free mm-hmm. uh, in, in the transportation program the summer youth employment uh, helping mm-hmm. getting up that budget expanded uh, for more young people to have jobs like that youth voice being a part of the conversation right. uh, was important to me so that's right that's awesome and I actually didn't know that you founded that so I'm glad that you had an answer <laughs> there um, but also on specifically transparency in government and getting people involved, that's something that I absolutely feel is crucial to also a commissioner's role. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't have a vote, but we have this thing called great weight as a commissioner. And Mm -hmm. if your great weight can be heard by D.C. agencies and D.C. council, hopefully that also can be heard from Mm -hmm. citizens. So if you who are listening don't know who your commissioner is or don't know what the youth mayor might do, perhaps 
you yourself can look that up and then understand why and how the government actually works in your favor. Mm -hmm. And perhaps if it doesn't, then you can change that. And I think the more people who get involved in hyper-local government, the better that it can be. Because if you have 10 people reporting an issue with one intersection, but it's not getting fixed Mm -hmm. based on how the community is experiencing this strife, how can we change the system that's not working for us? So recently, it's specifically in our neighborhood, which, full (laughs) disclosure, Jamal and I live in the same apartment building. (laughs) (laughs) Renters unite. Um, But on 8th and V Street, we are, and then there's a very dangerous intersection at Florida 9th and V Mm -hmm. Northwest. So... We, I walk that every day. I'm getting a slice of Andy's pizza for $4. Oh, if you I haven't tried Andy's. it, <laughs> I love Andy's. stop by. They're the best They always there. close when I really, really want I it. <laughs> what, five minutes before. Right. Or um, lunchtime. Exactly. They got to expand. They got to expand. But <laughs> if you're walking across that um, Florida Ave 9th Street to get your Andy's pizza, you are quite literally risking your life right now. However, there's... Within my tenure, we're, we were able to implement the plan of stoplights, crosswalks, mm-hmm. curb cuts, and a one-way street that used to be two-way. Mm-hmm. So, however, that took not only my time as commissioner, but many before me, perhaps 10 years to mm-hmm. implement a plan and then actually get it done. Um, so I think that's something that youth, hyper-local citizens and even commissioners can do so much better is influencing Mm -hmm. uh, processes at the D.C. government level because it's often that people don't understand um, what the government has the capability of doing and Mm -hmm. when you do understand that then you're able to change it. So I think also with the statehood issue we don't have that ability to change the system because we're not a part of it yeah no i mean the 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 power of just a voice in general is 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 tremendous and i mean the the saying the squeaky wheel gets the oil is Mm -hmm. always easy to say but it's it's true right like Mm -hmm. like i think about like the power of youth voice um i put it in perspective for for my own self right like john lewis was 23 years old Mm -hmm. when he uh, put his life at risk to ensure that every African American across the country had the right to vote. Right, right. At 23 years old, and now to see a, a majority to, to see like the Civil Rights Act pass and the Voting Rights Act pass, and to see a 23 year old, 22 year old be engaged in that is is like that being at the front of that march, mm-hmm. right? Was 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 huge. But also like looking at uh, uh, sort of some of the things that even passed here locally, right? Like the mayor engaged young people. Uh, to expand the kids referee program and that mm-hmm. was something that came from concern of young people the smart trips that were provided to young people during the summertime when they didn't have access to transportation mm-hmm. funds to get to and from work to their summer jobs right that came from young people coming together and saying we we don't have no money like we're right. spending all our money that we're getting every two weeks on to, getting just to, to get work, to work right so exactly. it, um so like the, the power like youth voice to actually like move change uh, uh, and we've been seeing this across the country with gun violence legislation, mm-hmm. gun violence prevention legislation. Uh, like the power of youth voice really holds weight. And I always tell people, like, yes, the vote is your vote is sacred, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your, like your vote is important. It is sacred, but it's also the fact that if you don't have a vo- vote, you still have a voice, and one day you will have a vote, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, uh, and and growing up, I, I had to find the importance of that. Uh, but also how to instill that knowledge into other young people in the city. 
that, mm-hmm. that we can be a part of the change we want to see. Exactly. And would love to dive back into that kind of fight for 51 for 51. So when you were um, talking about the concept of this organization, but also this movement, how were you thinking about engaging presidential candidates? And then how did it go when you actually tried to implement it? Yeah, so it, it, it all started actually as a one phone call. Um, our campaign manager uh, um, at the time was Stasha Rhodes. Um, and she gave she uh, she's a great mentor of mine. She gave a, she gave me a call. Uh, actually, I had no idea who she was. Actually, she gave me a call and and, right. uh, uh, and really was referred uh, um, at, as two folks who really wanted to do something in the statehood movement. But like, mm-hmm. gave a call and was like, "Hey, like we we should work together to pull together like group of young people." Uh, and I just started like there were other young people in the city who were like statehood advocates, but wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. aligned with the organization. Right. So like I then started topping folks who was out who I was in the Marion Berry Leadership Institute with, who I worked with on other statehood projects, and we all just came together as young people. Uh, and the 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 focus of it was to really like while the work of many organizers were doing here for generations locally, and really educating people here locally and somewhat across the country, and it needed to be a lot of work done on building a national footprint around like mm-hmm. the statehood movement, right. but also like a, a, a twist in strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Like like. When we started the campaign uh, four years ago, everybody was like it was unconventional, right? Like right. it was a stupid idea to talk mm-hmm. about the filibuster and talk about statehood. Like don't ever put those two together. And, and everybody was like, what, "What was now? What was unconventional is now in the status quo, exactly. right?" And it was it was amazing to me to see how many organizations would not get behind a statehood fight just because of the fact that we were talking about the filibuster mm-hmm. and also bird dogging presidential candidates. Right. And for those who don't know what bird dogging is, it's about literally following the candidates around wherever they go and simply harassing them. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to use the word harassing. A, until, until you get an answer. Asking until you right, get an answer. Ask until you get an answer. So we, our, our strategy was going up to candidates and, and getting them to commit on camera. Uh, yeah. Tell us on camera whether or not if you support DC statehood, and oftentimes they say yes. But the follow up was, "What well, do you support it with fifty one votes in the Senate?" And that's where it became tricky for a lot of mm. folks. But like the, the the fierce advocacy of continuously following these folks, and at times Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, was like, "Like I see, I just saw you all in Iowa. Now I see you all in <laughs> De- uh, Detroit. Like where are you all coming from?" Yeah. Um, but it was that fierce advocacy that got us to get those folks on paper. So like we were able to close out with by the that cycle, close out twenty one. Awesome. Candidates who endorsed it, from Mayor Pete to uh, mm-hmm. Vice President Harris to President Biden, mm-hmm. um, and and that was the work of young people. And we, I'll make one f- final point. Like Pete Buttigieg was actually one of the first ones to endorse our campaign, one of the first big candidates right. to endorse our campaign. And one, he not only steamrolled and like put pressure on other folks to endorse it. But he also was the first presidential candidate to ever talk about D.C. statehood on the debate stage. Wow. Right? Like, to go to, to see young people say yes and then go on a debate stage that, that night in Detroit. And he's like, look, D.C. deserves statehood. Mm-hmm. And, like, no other presidential candidate mentioned statehood on, on their platforms right. or, in their, or in their, uh, on a debate stage. And he did that. And that was at the work of young people, and he helped us expand, I believe, helped us expand the, the, the work that we did tremendously. Absolutely, and it's interesting to put that in perspective as well, where that's in 2019? 
yeah. debate stage. That's in 2019. 2019 yeah. However, this fight of DC statehood mm -hmm. has gone on for over a century, ever since yeah. we have been founded as a country. And it's interesting that how long it's taken, but how quickly I think the national movement and national education has um, increased around this issue of DC statehood because of that presence from presidential candidates, but also because of the votes that have been held in the um, yeah. House. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the 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 long term effect of the work that people have been doing for generations after generations. Right have been sort of steamrolling us and getting us to this point, but I think we're still missing a, a point, right. right? Like, there are still people who just don't understand the fact that we aren't a state, yeah. right? Like, while I think it was great for us to get presidential candidates to endorse, there's also, we also realize there's a lot of work that needs to be done with educating people outside of D.C. Right. But there were people who may not have aligned with us ideo ideology-wise or, like, political party-wise. Right. However, it was, was, once you got the opportunity to, like, put explain. people first and explain like the true fight, right? Like this is not just about the idea of a Democrat or Republican going to the Senate. This is about Americans who don't have the right to vote, really, who, who don't have, uh, who pay federal taxes. And if we're living up to our constitution, like let's live up to it and say no taxation without representation. You know, that's how we were founded, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you, you start to change perspective and change minds and change hearts just from the idea of Loosening the education and closing the educational gap. Absolutely. And I think, one, the taxation without representation, every American can understand. Mm -hmm. But two, people who are engaged in local government can understand the budget cycles and how approval of budgets is a sacred and hyper-local ability. Mm -hmm. However, the district doesn't have that ability because, of course, our budget is approved by Congress. Right. And a lot of people don't know that fact. So yeah. we'd love to hear from you also when you're talking to folks in Iowa or Detroit or wherever mm -hmm. you traveled, what was the biggest surprise fact that folks didn't know about uh, the statehood issue? That we have mumbo sauce. <laughs> Always. Um, <laughs> uh, and like, it's another funny story. Also, going across the country asking for a half and half. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's like, half and half what? Like, are you serious? <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> they call it a sunjoy at Chick-fil-A. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> I learned something new today. Right. Uh, but no, I, I, think, I think what I realized going across the country and sort of like talking about that was... Uh, uh, was, was sort of like that people people have a predetermined assumption of what Washington is, mm. but don't necessarily know what the District of Columbia is. And there's a difference between Washington and D.C., mm -hmm. right? And I'm not talking about the state Washington. I'm talking about Washington, D.C. And, like, you, you hear these false narratives, right, like on the news, for example, like people in Washington voted to take this down. Right. The people of Washington, like, no, like, I'm the people of Washington and we actually object to what you're talking about. Right. Right. Or, like, uh, like the, there's a false narrative that or assumption that there's not even people who even live here. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, people, a lot of people genuinely do not know that there are over 700,000 people that live here. And in or a lot of people already think that we're a state, right? Like you right. fill out an application or you do something, you, you select the state, District of Columbia pops up. Mm -hmm. So like that 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 uh, uh, that engaging with people across the country was 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 really like surprising because it was like people only know what they see and what their environments expose them to, and if we aren't doing our due diligence uh, and exposing people to a different environment, then it's understandable why they don't have the educational 
uh, uh, opportunity to learn about statehood. It's understandable mm-hmm. why they disagree with statehood because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think the, that's what any issue, right? The more that we can create educational opportunities, but also creating many entry points for engagement, uh, it gives us the opportunity to actually move this fight forward. Absolutely. Um, also, would love to hear about this moment that we're in right now with two more years until the next presidential election of 2024. Mm -hmm. Statehood, I felt, was a huge hot-button issue two years ago where Mm -hmm. we had two votes in the House, we had national press, we had national coverage, um, and just a national conversation. Now I feel, of course, midterms is taking precedent and taking Mm -hmm. um, people's time and energy, but how can we get statehood back into the limelight before this next presidential election? It will, I, I would, it's easy to say elect. I mean, it is easy, but it's also we must do. It's easy to say we elect people who support D.C. statehood, but it's mm-hmm. also you say that, but we actually don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, like, there are people who we elect in office who do support statehood, but don't necessarily take action on it, right? right. It, it, it's sort of the bill dies on their desk. Right. Um, I think I think a lot of what we can do focused on the midterms is like it, it is for whatsoever reason to be very nervous about where we are in the midterms and what's going to happen after the fact. Like, right. Mm-hmm. It, it is, that, that's understandable. And that's not just with statehood. That's with any issue that people care about. Right. Like things will change. Right. Um, if, if the midterms don't go in the way that some people favor. Right. Um, for good or for bad. So I, I think I think um, uh, the one thing that we need to start doing to focus on the midterm is is really uh, not only approaching this work with a organizing effort and like doing the grassroots organizing and, and the educational efforts that a lot of our nonprofits and organizers are doing, mm-hmm. but also having some political will and capital uh, from a statehood perspective. Right? I think our elected officials uh, in D.C. alone can do a lot more. Uh, with really showing that like we are stateless, right? Right. I think we truly need to uh, uh, get some of our elected officials amplified more. And and I, I do credit the mayor's office on historically investing a historic amount of local dollars into the fight, and really creating opportunities for people to learn about statehood and like engage people across the country. Um, but a lot of our elected officials in D.C. don't even talk about it unless it's the, mm. it's it's the time to talk about it, right? right? Um, this is an issue that affects every single aspect yeah. of our council and our mayor's yeah. ability. 100%. 100%. So we need some political capital behind it. And that's just not from an elected official standpoint. It's also from a political PAC standpoint. Right. right? And, and there is a D.C. statehood PAC that is starting I've up, heard. I've heard. Um, um, that, it, that it's really focused on, again, putting some political will behind the fight. So there has to be organizing efforts, but there also has to be some political capital behind what we're mm-hmm. doing too. Absolutely. That's interesting that you bring that to the forefront because I'm I'm curious as to how that statehood pack can get off the ground and then move forward in the next decade. But perhaps that's another conversation. Would love to hear <laughs> perhaps last-ish question. I know I could talk about statehood all day. No, me too. And with the 700,000 uh, residents, you know our license plates say uh, t- no taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what we're living in our daily lives right now. So question to you, where do you see the statehood issue going in the next three decades? So if we have 30 years ahead and we're all still alive by then, we've made it that far. <laughs> 
what are we going to say if i'm not dead by then yeah uh which i don't think i will (laughs) i hope (laughs) they say black don't crack yeah Uh, (laughs) um i I think i think uh in the next 30 years we we should my hope is that we are in a place where we're 20 years into being the state Right and like laying the foundation on what an ideal state should be because we're I mean we're doing that now. Mm-hmm. I think we have everything it takes to be a state and we've done everything. Is we we've shown everything that it means to be a state. We live by our own values. Um, we have one of the largest budgets compared to many other cities. We raise ta- uh, we we pay more taxes mm-hmm. than any other American in this country. So we've done our due diligence and and a lot of the programmatic things that we have done in this city. Um, have been this city doing it first and the country following second. Mm. Um, and my hope is that we're no longer treated as stepchilds or as yes. second-class citizens in the next mm-hmm. 30 years. Um, but I, I truly believe that this we, we have an opportunity to get this fight done in the, in the next five years. Um, it, right. it, it's going to take some political will, capital, uh, and organizing, continuous organizing educational efforts. Absolutely. Well, I'm in this fight with you, and I know a lot of other district residents are, so thank you so much for coming on the show. And, you know, 51 for 51. <laughs> thank you. I thank appreciate you. you having me. Awesome.